Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Deeper Current Podcast. I am your host, Hannah Ruth Dyson, founder of Soul Sea Gathering and founder of Women Change World. Deeply honored once again to be here and to yeah, be sharing my voice with you. I'm I'm truly touched by the messages I received from last week's recording, which felt in particularly um, a vulnerable one. Uh, I felt a lot of resistance to sharing because I, I really showed up and dropped into this free flow state and then didn't really know what was going to come out. And then, yeah, just speaking to a lot of things. Um, again, I'm just honored to have this um, medium, this space to speak freely into and Wow, uh, this week I was meant to share a recording um, I made with a friend who just has the most beautiful words and way of walking through the world. Her name is Catherine Rose, Weaver of Light. Uh, if you don't already, you can find her on Instagram. Uh, her artwork is truly inspiring. And yeah, I, I'm still hoping that recording can be salvaged I don't think the audio came out so well and it's just taking a little bit longer to edit and figure out and so trusting <laughs> that I'm here to share another solo episode and with the right timing we'll be able to release a conversation together um, because she's someone that I I really love her words every time we we come together and have conversations I'm once again always thinking to myself this would be amazing to share, to share with all of you because, yeah, when, when I leave a conversation vibrating and resonating and so inspired, I know, I know that's of value to many people. But, yeah, this is a really, I think, intense time in this moment and it's, um, uh, if you're not already aware, there's, you know, widespread protests across the United States and I think it's even spread now to Europe and other places of the world uh, really standing up for the justice that is required for all people but in particular black people who have not received equal and honorable justice and I mean those of us who've had any awareness of the deep-rooted systemic and societal uh, racism you know within us and within our whole um, systems have known that something big has to happen and this is because <laughs> there's been decades 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 of um, you know education peaceful protesting uh, people just trying to inform trying to uh, get more of the population to wake up, get more of us to do this really required deep inner work to, um, you know, unravel all of this stuff within us so that we can show up and be, uh, you know, allies. We can be a support and then we can also create this bigger change that is truly needed. And I mean, the deeper you go, the more you feel like, wow, this something big has to happen for this to change. And so uh, I'm not surprised at the level of protests that are spreading and who knows where this could go. I mean, you know, your guess is as good as mine. It could fizzle out over a few days or it could continue. 
And I think this is just, you know, it's a boiling point. It's a get to a point where if peaceful action and peaceful education and, and just um, words and knowledge is not making the change that is needed, where lives are being cost and, you know, taken <laughs> so, um, so ruthlessly, so needlessly, you know, in the most recent that has ignited this has been George Floyd um, with the words, you know, the last words recorded being said, like, I can't breathe. And just this human, you know, this human need to breathe. <laughs> I think it touches us so deeply when you hear those words and you see what happened because it was all recorded. This is, of course, a huge, uh, just a huge moment a huge moment for it to sink in and of course there's been many names many people who have died um completely you know no reason for it um and so of course again this is a boiling point this is a breaking point many people know the police system is broken if you don't know, hopefully you're realizing right now, it is deeply broken. And again, within our institutions, within our systems, within our society, um, the deeply rooted racism that has created these systems, it's like very hard to create reform or gradual change because it's within the roots of it and it's within the roots of people and it goes unchecked. And so this is again, just so much, so much to speak to, so much going on and deep, deep healing that needs to take place. And again, those of us who are white, those of us with any measure of privilege, it's our work to change this, you know? And if you allow me today, I'm going to go deep. You know, the name of this podcast, it's a deeper current podcast. And also the name of uh, my project is Women Change World. And I do not take that name lightly. I felt, as I've shared previously on this podcast, I've sh I shared how, you know, that name came to me as a very clear name for this work. And I felt very uneasy about it. It's a big name to kind of um, operate under. But what's beautiful about it, much like my work with Saucy Gathering, it's just calling me to show up it's calling me to action it's calling me to continue to grow and to put myself out there and the funny thing is I've pretty much always been holding back some level of my deep truth my deep understanding my deep knowing I think really to um under this guise I think of remaining accessible to not pull put people off and it's probably fear right of triggering people being uncomfortable um you know receiving resistance whatever that might be um because i doing the kind of work that i've been doing for many years i've had to learn over time um part of my work is to make people uncomfortable <laughs> and that's a hard um pill to swallow when you know the deep parts of myself wants to be liked wants to be um everyone's friends and wants everyone to really feel good because i understand i have so much compassion for each of us and our journeys and our pain and our trauma um but there comes a time when sometimes you just need to 
lay it all out, speak about the deeper stuff. And yeah, if you allow me today, I'm going to go on a, a bit of my journey, some of which you've heard me talk about in the past, but I'm going to go a little bit deeper just to share the, some of the, the energy that burns through me, through my work, the energy that kind of fuels what I do. And it's been, you know, a long build up to where I am today, where I also, um, you know, I am still focused on the light. I'm still focused on love. I'm still focused on celebration. I'm still focused on the beauty. Um, but it's within, it's with this deeper current always moving, you know, me on and me continuing to do my own work and to continually face my shadows and continue to face the collective shadows that allows me to also share the beauty and the light and the love authentically and with um, strength behind it and it's just really important because sometimes uh, it's easy to fall prey to spiritual bypass or just focusing on the light and denying you know the shadow and the dark and the uncomfortable things and there's so much within our society we're not really given necessarily the tools to face our shadow so that's also understandable uh, but once we begin that work again the gifts are so rewarding um it's it's really you really begin to understand <laughs> that none of us are free until we're all free and that we you know unless everyone is taken care of and everyone is being served well by the society that we uh, live in and that we you know are supported by and that we support if not everyone is receiving the same level then that also is taking something away from us and this knowing, this understanding makes you stand up for justice, makes you stand up for change again and again to ensure we are all, you know, living in this world that we wish to be in. So I'm going to take you a little bit on my journey just to, to share how I've kind of woken up to certain degrees and continue to do so and um, just what is meant through my own journey, my lens. And I would say, um, you know, as a child, being educated and learning about, first of all, with a lot of environmental issues and also being aware of race issues. I remember from quite a young age knowing that um, it was predominantly black people and people of color that would be arrested and would be in jail. And I knew um, that was a huge issue. I had my grandparents um, in their local village fighting to save a mosque. My, my grandfather was in politics, so he really took this on. And then I remember hearing how they would they were starting to get like death threats by white supremacists and you know they're white so they're not getting it on any level <laughs> compared to people of color but or you know black people but uh just hearing that just made me yeah shudder and they felt very vulnerable at times because they were you know an older couple who lived in the middle of nowhere in the countryside um in their farmhouse and so um, to receive these death threats directly through the front door and to be robbed and to, yeah, feel this threat. I remember um, in a very personal level, like connecting to that and understanding that. 
But I would say as a child, I had a bit of a um, very natural kind of self-righteousness and sense of justice and um, the sense of like what is wrong and what is right as being like maybe a little bit more simplistic, um, idealistic and so forth. And then I was really grateful uh, when I, by the time I got to university, again, I am not quite sure, you know, it's starting to make more and more sense to me why I chose to study economics um, and business. But I really struggled as soon as I entered into university and realized this wasn't the career path I wanted. I mean, I knew I never wanted to be on it. That's why it's funny I chose those degrees. But um, gratefully, gradually, I was able to open up my degree and just study like from a plethora of different subjects and just kind of pick and choose. And that was such a gift, um, especially within this very traditional school that doesn't usually allow that. You usually have to choose already, you know, the one or two years before that you've applied for the exact degree you're going to do. And then you have to stick to that. They made it very hard, actually, for me to change. But by the time I did, it was like exciting because I just love to learn. And one of the courses I did was international development. I think that was the name, but it was in that kind of theme. And really grateful for this professor because I realized international development isn't always taught in this way. But she basically made us go through all of the the immense issues that take place within our nonprofit and aid work. And I, you know the best example and there are many but the one I always come back to is this notion for example of child labor and those of us who've grown up in the west and um in this like maybe like white liberal mindset of you know you automatically think wait there that's wrong that's wrong I I don't want to support I don't want to think that my the stuff that I'm buying comes from child labor and so, especially at the time when we were studying this, I think this has become a big um, movement to to stop child labor. And so either companies directly were stopping um, child labor or charities would come in and um, make sure that wasn't taking place. And the problem with that is in many, many cases children who had these jobs were supporting their family and without their support their family was you know in deeper poverty and then also um, if they're not allowed to work all of a sudden and they can't afford to school or there is no access to school they are automatically on the streets and they're either then forced into stealing or they're forced into selling drugs, or they're forced into prostitution. And unfortunately, the latter is a very common occurrence. I mean, all of them could take place. And um, <laughs> of course, when you start to look deeper and you understand that, then you're like, well, maybe it was better that they had a job that was at least, you know, um, semi-safe and they had a place to go. And they also were able to support their family who really needed that food. And anyway, it was through this course that first really began to open my eyes and realize I found it really heartbreaking and demoralizing because it felt so complicated. It felt like, wow, there isn't easy solutions. You can't just arrive into a country and and like change a law, change a situation and not look at the ripple effect or look at the deeper cause. And she also made us go into all these different case studies of 
examples like where there's huge donations of clothes or donations of food. And actually, the problem with that is that someone in that community was selling clothing. Someone in that community was selling this type of grain. And then suddenly, <laughs> some, you know, seemingly well-intentioned nonprofits or aid work has come in and brought these and then taken away that person's profession. Or there'd be, you know, you'd focus on one village and then a neighboring village wouldn't receive anything. And suddenly there's like a war between the villages. So once again, it just, it broke down every sense of simplicity that I had with global issues. And I realized like, wow, there's so much. And I I just started to wake up to the huge issues that we have with our nonprofit charity and aid work. And also the disgusting side of it is that in many cases, aid work and even nonprofit and so on um, can be set up to be self-serving. There's a whole, you know, understanding of disaster capitalism, people coming in. Um, and one example is people coming into Haiti. And I, I mean, it's been a long time, but there were reports at the time that the Clinton Foundation were doing this. And this is what got me really um, fired up at the time, but I can't. I can't verify that right now and tell you that it's absolutely true. But at the time, there were reports and people, you know, trying to speak out and say from Haiti, like, look, this foundation has come in. We've just had, you know, a huge disaster. Um, but this has been our flourishing, like, grain and crop. And this is the way we fed ourselves. And, and it won't take long to regenerate. Um, but unfortunately, the foundation comes in and enforces this relationship this dynamic where suddenly they are importing a grain and then you follow where that grain comes from and it comes from either a family member of the clintons or a friend or and this goes for so many different deals that get set up within aid work and charity work where uh, people become dependent on american companies um, supplying things and they're forced into this relationship um, which again becomes self-serving <laughs> to the people who are just trying to you know make more and more money and a good book for this if you want to dive deeper is Naomi Klein's Shock Doctrine and then another book that really can um, wake you up and make you realize wow the deep issues um that we have in the world um, rooted in America is Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins. And he explains how his role was to go into um, countries' leaders and convince them to, yeah, once again, set up this dependency on American companies to create a supply chain and Either they agreed because and they 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 got sucked into this and then they were like, you know, really um, stuck in a relationship that wasn't serving them in the long term or they refused. And then he breaks down very clearly how uh, basically secret service or people would come in and murder these leaders. And there's many examples of leaders that, you know, became assassinated or mysteriously died and um, this was in fact due to um, the American government and so it's just this kind of stuff that you get really in can get really enraged about um, and I would say you know 
it was through that course at university. I mean, it kind of, I really thought I would m maybe want to take the route of working within nonprofits um, or the UN or, um, but I just began to see all these issues and I just um, slowly felt like I'm not sure unless I could create something or, you know, really know from the beginning I fell in love with a project and I felt the, the, it was doing something right, then I'd maybe take that path. But more and more, I mean, through that journey, I remember my grandfather, like I mentioned, was in politics and he was always trying to, I mean, somehow he believed in me that I was here to create change, which is beautiful to have that in a family member. But he really believed I should be in politics and <laughs> every part of me knew I could not enter into British politics, the kind of old boys club that is British politics and just the the attack on women, the uh, just it, I knew my soul would be drained and sucked and I would just um, end up being sick. I could just feel it in my whole body like this is not my path. But of course, you know, I'm really interested again in change and being part of um, the change I wish to see in the world. So I started to come to documentary film as being one of the best mediums to communicate something deeper to bring across issues and so forth. And I met a friend, um, Katie, who first of all introduced me to rock climbing, which I was so grateful for because I fell in love with rock climbing when I was in London. And then she told me about her job and she worked for this documentary company. She was a footage researcher and she shared all about what this role entailed. You know, you're all the time, you know, you're trying to find the best clips for certain moments in history, um, maybe for someone else's documentary or for a newsreel or for a special program. Um, whatever it is, you know, like you have a really good records of footage. And this is a company called Jenny Man Pictures. And she already knew she wanted to um, kind of get out of this job and start moving into other areas of media. She wanted to get deeper into journalism. Um, but I was like so like enamored, like, wow, that sounds like my dream job. And she was like, wow, I'll put a good word for you. You can begin with an internship and then it naturally becomes a job. And so I applied and I was just so excited. I remember before I even joined, um, because I all the time interested in creating like this, you know, vast library of um, footage from across the world and so forth and I was lucky enough to do this trip to China and a, and a lot of it within the Tibetan regions and I you know I got so excited like by this idea of um, getting into filming I remember documenting this amazing Tibetan sky burial you know we we're just visiting this town and suddenly we were told like no come 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 there's something special to see so we like ran halfway up this mountain and it was so mystical there was like all these tibetan prayer flags and this amazing scene like i had no idea what was really going on there was just all these vultures and all these big birds um <laughs> gathering around and it just took some time to realize what was taking place these um, men were basically cutting up a body and feeding it to the birds <laughs> and then learning that this was actually um, a family member this was their brother who had died the night before and this is their way of um, having a funeral of a burial they give you know they feed it to the birds and trust them that the spirit is being taken into the sky and something so 
beautiful about it, but then also watching it was very, um, you know, very like, wow, that's a, a leg right there. Or, or that's the skull. <laughs> it's like very surreal to watch. Um, but so, I mean, the, that's always been my passion, you know, learning about cultures, sitting with people I didn't even have the same language with. And just, I would always find these women weaving or, you know, sitting in the street. And I would just naturally like find my way sitting with them and you know just so much communication can happen through sign language and through um just smiling and i would be always invited into homes and i spent a lot of that trip on my own not really meeting any um western tourists and a lot of the time <laughs> really not sure if i was going in the right direction if i was on the right bus not many people being able to speak english and then it was a really surreal time because <laughs> was a lot of intense things that happened to me on that trip a lot of beautiful things a lot of funny things and I and many times I felt a little bit sad that I didn't have someone directly to share the experiences with but then I had all these meetings with um, mainly women and it just so inspired me at that time I really see it as a moment where I really got to travel in this kind of more organic raw way like I was suddenly on this bus this young Tibetan guy <laughs> was making friends with me and we were just like you know riding back and forth through his translator on his phone he wanted me to meet his family and so I thought cool I'll go on this little detour and then <laughs> I didn't realize he was trying to actually take me into Tibet like I was in Tibetan regions which are now called China but he wanted to take me into Tibet and the the thing is, at the time, they'd actually closed the borders to specifically um, English, Norwegian, and um, I think American people, um, because I think there were a lot of protests happening, and they didn't want um, reporters, or they didn't want you know the rest of the world finding out. So I wasn't actually like legally allowed to enter into the Tibet proper. And anyway, this guy was suddenly taking me in this bus across the mountain I was like wow okay as soon as I realized I was like I need to get off this bus I need to find a way back and I don't know it was a crazy adventure and um so much excitement I got really into photography I remember making a friend right before that trip who had you know was a photographer for Na for National Geographic and again I was like ah this is my dream job to travel across the world and document culture and learn about um, different people, different ways of being. And I just, yeah, I was like really excited. So by the time I got back, I started my internship at Jenny Man Pictures and I was like right away, you know, very um, into it. And, you know, right, like, you know, there's just so much to do. You're just like watching one film after the next. You're either like editing or you're like highlighting clips or you're transcribing. Um, so there's a, like a written record or, you know, all these different parts to that role. Um, and I was like, wow, I get to be so well informed. There's all this, you know, experiences of people, of situations, of countries that I'd never heard of or thought of or just, you know, had seen and um it definitely didn't go by without a day like it didn't go by a day without um at some point uh, bursting into tears because there was something very intense that I was watching documentaries tend to um especially journalistic ones tend to focus on intense situations 
genocides, um, slums, wars, um, you know, all these kind of things. And so I was watching a lot of that and um, constantly shocked by the stuff I hadn't known about, um, the deeper, you know, things going on in situations I had heard about. You know, I remember, for example, working on 10 documentaries for Hurricane Katrina and just what I witnessed. I was like, I never saw this on the news. And wow, this was going on? Like, what? And I could see, you know, then how black people in America were being treated. Um, it's like, not like it's the most um, developed, uh, you know, wealthy, you know, democracy in the world. It was like treating people like they were not important and just going so deep into, you know, listening to hours of people's uh, stories and experiences and, yeah, seeing all the things going on. This was the kind of work I was doing. And over time, I was just like, you know, I'd watch situations in, um, you know, in Africa or in uh, Latin America or in in Eastern Europe, like some of the intense wars that have been taking place in history and, um, you know, obviously deeply shook and shocked and just like, wow, all of this. Um, pain and violence and so forth. But the thing that started to really get to me was the amount I was learning about America and British um, involvement with corruption and with the problems of the world. And this was very intense to kind of really sink in because I realized I had been raised with a lie. The lie I'd been raised with was that we were the countries um, that everyone should try to be like in the world. Everyone should become a democracy like us. Everyone should, um, you know, needs our help, needs our saving, needs our foreign policy, needs our aid work. And again and again, I was witnessing how fucked up all of that was <laughs> from our countries, our so-called, you know, shining democracies. And then, you know, I remember one particular time just watching a lot of footage of um, people in the American army and the way they were being trained. And at times they were actually being given drugs like speed like kind of just amping you up and they were kind of being trained to treat like war situations like a game like sometimes in an aircraft or um and that you know later on then in drone warfare like so detached so you know and you could see all the time the trauma being in, like created for the people who are doing this damage like at times killing uh many times killing innocent civilians you know um, this became very intense to sink in. Like, what are we doing? What are we part of? What is going on? I felt so broken by, like, this lack of trust in my own government, in this, the, these stories that are fed by our media, the way I was taught history, all these things. I was like, this is a lie. And then I started to go deeper in, like, um, my friend... I, who I mentioned, Katie, she was like starting to get really into um, the illegal fishing that was taking place and basically started to learn that there was more slaves in out at sea and across the world than there were in, you know, quote-unquote colonial times. There are more slaves today than there were 
back then, what we think of when we think of slavery. And this was just like so shocking to me. I was like, how, what? Why is this not being spoken about? And it's like one of these issues where a lot of people are kept out at sea on boats where they're just undocumented. No one's really policing the oceans. Um, and and there's all these things that go on. For example, um, I worked on some documentaries in Dubai and Qatar where most of those cities are built by slaves people who are convinced that they have genuine jobs to come to, so they're convinced from other ne neighboring countries nearby to come, and the companies offer to pay for their tickets, and when they arrive, they're suddenly, you know, the reality sinks in that they were kind of tricked into this job. Suddenly, the companies can say, well, we paid for your travel, so you need to pay that back, and they create really, you know, unfair terms really low wages, so it's kind of nearly impossible to ever pay back the airfare. People who came were, like, in general, desperate. You know, to have to leave your family and your country, you have to be pretty desperate. And then their passports are taken away from them and they're held hostage. And then some of the footage I watched in Dubai was so intense. Like, these people are kept in the worst, worst conditions. Like, like worse than animals you know, domesticated animals. And so, again, this was such a pain. I was like, why is no one talking about this? And then learning about the immense amount of child uh, sex trafficking and this whole underworld. I just, again, I had to go so deep in all of that. And I was like, so overwhelmed. Like, again, why is no one talking about this? What is going on? I, I tried to talk about some of this stuff. People generally didn't want to know. And I... I, I more and more felt broken and I got to a, a point, um, I've shared this story before, but my it just was a particularly hard day because I was like asked to transcribe this one film in Chile and I won't go into the details because it's highly traumatic, um, but I had to listen to one woman after the next in Chile's um, accounts of torture and it was so intense and I just couldn't stop crying. It was like you know, to see these women sharing these experiences was so intense. And again, ways of torture I didn't even know were possible. Um, and then, you know, my boss kind of turned to me and was like, kind of like, oh, you need to figure out like how to stop crying. <laughs> kind of like you're causing a scene in this office and um, we're all looking at this kind of footage. You need to find a way how to deal with it. And I just realized right then and there, like, this is not the job for me. And uh, I, I just right then I gave like, I think a week's notice, I left. Um, and I had friends who wanted to go into war journalism and all those things. And I was like, that is not my path. I just, I can't, I can't deal with it. And I felt so broken, you know, after coming from such a sort of idealistic, childlike, like, I want to save the world. I want to do whatever I can to be part of the change in the world and then just have to witness you know a couple like a few months of this stuff I was just like broken and it propelled me into the path of deep inner work which I'm so grateful for you know to go deep into yoga meditation healing trauma work to understand all of this stuff to understand the breath to understand movement um, for me, who'd been, you know, so intellectualized, grown up to focus so much on the mind, even though I was always into sports and so on, like 
just learning how to feel my body, to feel my emotion, and realizing more and more, oh, this is what's missing in the nonprofit world, in the activist space, in the journalist space. Like, we need to be all guided into this personal work so that we don't muddy the waters or add dysfunction to our mix. Like, we need to do this deep work. And I remember reading an article, um, it was back in like 2013, and it was about how everyone is racist. And the article was so well written, and it just sunk in. I was like, yeah, because we live within these systems and we have been schooled in a certain way and we watch film and TV and and news in a certain way and we're like repeating these images, these stories, this way of looking at different people and if we haven't had the opportunity to, or you know, we haven't had like the occurrence in our life to actually um, make friends with these people, to make friends with this culture, to travel to a place, to actually go deeper into um another human's way of life then we will likely be ingrained with these scripts and these understandings and that kind of really woke me up in a deep way of like okay part of my shadow work has to include this like what weird thoughts show up in mind that don't feel like they're even mine but they are there and then just beginning to unravel that unravel that unravel that um and like I said, I mean, I tried to talk so much <laughs> about some of the stuff I was learning in that documentary job and people didn't want to know. And so I felt also like kind of lost, like, what do I do with this information? I don't know how to help all these situations. I don't know what to do. And I knew I just had to figure something out that I was here to do. Um, you know, in yoga, we talk about dharma, purpose. And I was like, I need to find that. I need to just... I just know everything that I don't want to do and I just have to keep going, keep finding. And it was, you know, a year or two of being very uncomfortable <laughs> having done this like fancy degree and then <laughs> going into yoga and the alternative space and being like, you know, looked at by everyone in my family and in my community, like growing up in like, who, what are you doing? Like, why can't you just take a normal job? Like why this kind of soul searching, deeper stuff that just... Uh, yeah, I just had to figure something else out. And uh, like I've shared before, it kind of, that space I'm grateful for, that it took this deep discomfort of the unknown because it was slowly through allowing that and just being in my deep work that things started to come through, like um, beginning to do circle work and um, just learning about um, the First Nations in Canada through my teacher and like the people that she'd made friends with and learning about their world and then learning about um, this history of like goddesses and witches and so on that just made me like immediately with my research mind um, and this deeper one of change and I'm like what is this and that you know has propelled all my work um, and along the way uh, with Salty Gathering um, by the time that came like four or five years ago I realized, okay, I've been in this apprenticeship of learning how to just live creatively through seasons of um, doing and rest and allowing for for that. And I was sharing it in small immersions, in small ways, and uh, just experiencing the beauty of walking that path of awareness, of um, sh basically learning how to move with change. And I was just in that dance of life, but not really professionally. And I wasn't really, you know integrating in a big way but then I just started to question like I wonder 
um, if I can do this with Soul Gathering because something feels important about how I do this work as much as the why and the what it is. And I have to say as well, because this became, it was very much a personal passion project, not even a project, just my own self-discovery and exploration, this research at first into deep feminine history and culture across the world. I was just so, like, I couldn't stop learning. It's just, it's clearly just my thing. I just love to go deep and to read as much as I possibly can. Um, but I didn't have any clear sense that this was going to be a profession or this was going to become something. And um, when it suddenly kind of dawned on me that this should become something because so much interest was there, uh, you know, so many women I would meet and men, eyes would just light up and want to know more and want to um, like learn from me, from what stuff I had learned and was like kind of interesting because I felt weird about even charging money or like making it business or figuring that out. I I just, and then as I shared previously, when I decided like, okay, I'm going to do this year-long mapping project, like how much can we cover from our history, the way we kept intersecting with indigenous cultures. And I just got more and more signs from the universe, like, okay, this is something to look at. This is something that's very relevant right now. People who are still alive, where there's so much attacks on their way of life, their land, um, and we just don't hear about it. We don't hear about the women. We hardly hear about indigenous. We don't, we maybe hear of the problems, but we don't really hear about the beauty, the knowledge, the wisdom and, and stuff I started being shown and started pieces. I started, you know, I'd already experienced on my travels. I realized like there's really something here and they're like the closest, strongest thread to our deep feminine history, to the way things used to be for all of us when we lived as part of the earth in deep relationship in this animist uh you know relationship with all things where everything is alive and valuable um it's not just our resource to be extracted or to be dumped upon um it's you know our relationship with 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 all things is you know it's with us it's with everything and it's so vital so Anyway, this became quickly clear, like, okay, this is where I'm meant to head next. And I had these conversations with the universe, like, but this is going to be intense. I'm a white woman going into these areas. And as much as there's beauty and wisdom and just immense um, love and, like, just heart and just so much, so much richness to enjoy and to appreciate and to value there's also immense amount of pain and very uncomfortable uh, a lot of anger a lot of a lot of emotion shows up <laughs> because it's very intense and you realize yeah most of us would rather wish like would rather close off from that we'd rather not really know what was part of our history and what is going on still today. And, you know, um, I recently watched this beautiful documentary. I'm going to link it below. I've forgotten the name, but it's based, it's it's the same uh, filmmaker who made The Cobra Gypsies, which I've recommended to many people. I'll link that below and his new film, uh, which is set in Borneo. And it's like, it breaks it down very simply. It's like, uh, like, it's either a quarter or a half of all of our um, products. I'll, again, I'll 
reference that correctly below in the show notes. But um, yeah, a quarter or half of our products are made with palm oil from Borneo. And so we are all in some way, unless we're very consciously choosing to not buy anything with palm oil, which I definitely try to do and have done for many years. But it's also very easy to buy stuff with palm oil because, it's again, it's in so many of our products um, in the supermarket. Then we are all part of this in, insane amount of deforestation that has taken place within Borneo and that has basically destroyed whole tribes and indigenous people's way of life. And this whole film is kind of visiting the last indigenous people who are in really the last parts of the forest and just trying to communicate the immense um, value of these people and their way of life and how we can't lose it as a people. Their survival knowledge in the forest is second to none. And these people were never in poverty. They lived full rich complete lives in the jungle they had everything they needed beautiful spiritual connection beautiful community life like that the people i think they were banan people penang people again i'm going to quote that right below um but they their values are generosity hospitality and joy that's this, this is their way of life and, you know, slowly over time, they've just had so much land taken from them. It's become more and more impossible for them to live the way that they've lived, which has always been nomadic, moving from camp to camp and, you know, always only taking what they need and making sure there's enough to replenish and this way of, of living um, becoming more and more impossible. And this mafia government in Malaysia just trying to do everything they can basically to take every last tree down so they can turn it into profit and turn it into palm oil trees and or rubber plantations and they convinced a lot of indigenous people to move to camps to villages and they promised to give them money and support and then that never really materialized and then these people are fully dependent <laughs> on money and then you know their way of life is destroyed but all of this is to say We've all likely at some point bought a product with palm oil. And so this is all our blood on our hands. This is this is the in, intense stuff going on in the world. We can't pretend it's out of sight, out of mind. We are part of it. And this is the same where there's, you know, coal, oil, gas, gold being mined in somewhere in the Western world. We're likely benefiting from that. And so once again... It's not, oh, these exotic places or this, you know, this. It's, it's part of our own ecosystem. These trees are important for us to breathe, to be here on Earth. And then, you know, these people are important as the caretakers. And um, well, through Saucy Gathering, I just, just woke up again and again to the realization that we need this way of life. We need to know because our systems are so fragile. Our modern lives are so dependent and make us very again fragile so to learn how to you know forage and to build from scratch and to um you know do all these things actually vital it's not just a romantic notion to kind of be skilled in it's actually vital knowledge and we're just starting to see maybe i mean the amount of people who are starting to build like grow gardens and take more seriously like maybe 
having food that is accessible locally and within our own garden uh, is just showing us right now, you know, we feel, we're starting to feel the cracks, maybe in a big way, <coughs> maybe in a small way, but it's beginning and we're really starting to understand that we need this kind of knowledge. Uh, so anyway, it's just when I'm very, again, aware that I've been a white person with saucy gathering, it's been a huge part of and constantly doing my own work and making sure that I am walking rightly. And it's, again, not about being perfect, but it's about being honest and it's about continuing to walk and to make mistakes and hopefully um, guide and teach others to do better. And also just um, learning the things that I maybe learned earlier than others and then witnessing, okay, this is also something I should teach and guide others better on because I've seen situations where I wouldn't have imagined the reactions, the responses of people. Um, and then was really disappointed and realized, oh, this is also my responsibility to educate on, to support others with this work. And all of this is to say that with, um, for example, with Soulsy Gathering, it, like mapping our deep history, deep feminine earth culture um, around the world, past and present, it's not just a beautiful thing to do because it is. It's so beautiful. I just am constantly enamored by what I get to learn. Um, but it's also deeply needed. This kind of deep-rooted change is so needed to reestablish a new way of life for the future, a way that we can be in harmony with all things, that we can treat people rightly. We have to do this deeper rooted work, you know, within ourselves, within our understanding, with a way of looking at the world. Any weird thought that we have at any time that is in any way racist, biased, prejudiced, judgmental, it's ours to look at and it's ours to inspect and to dig deeper with. And so I am excited to bring more of that um, within the Soul Seat House. And once again, I invite you to that space because we get to be part of this deep-rooted change there. And once again, the celebration, the beauty, the wisdom and empowerment, true empowerment that we will gain for our own lives. Um, and then the change that we get to be part of in the world is just it's so um, important and urgent, actually. And we are all benefiting from this fucked up system. And so it's also a requirement, a necessity for us to find our way to do this work. And so I invite you into this community space because, again, I've been part of this for a long time. And I, as a white person, I'm constantly learning of the problems that we need to fix as a society. And again, I think anyone with any amount of privilege, because even within social rights, uh, human rights, justice work within, for example, America or within any European country, um, it can be sometimes very much internally focused and it is not maybe always taking account of also the things going on across the world. And this has been also a huge thing that I've, um, again, I think, early on with that documentary job, um, been sitting with just knowing. And I remember when I was 18, 
first traveling, I saved up for six months working and then I went traveling for five months and um, went to Cambodia, which I fell in love with in many ways. Uh, Angkor Wat Temple is amazing and a lot of people are just so, you know, beautiful and heartwarming, but there's so much pain there. Um, you know, understanding that what had gone on, which I, again, I hadn't known about until I arrived in Cambodia. I just hadn't been taught or told that in my schooling or in the media that I consumed. Um, but realizing the carpet bombing that had been taken place um, by, by America, um, you know, really for no need. And then what that, you know, started with the Khmer Rouge, which just created one of the biggest genocides and just, again, so much deep pain, so much uh, violence and really ugly, ugly, ugly um, parts of history. Um, and to witness that first, like, you know, like in person, the the concentration camps and the killing fields, very intense again um, to experience. But I remember reading a lot, needing to understand. And the name that kept coming up was Henry Kissinger. And just realizing then, learning more about him and just realizing the amount of fucked up things he's been part of. And even more fucked up is that he got awarded a Nobel Peace Prize and you can just Google, maybe I'll link an article below or two, which kind of explain just a summary of all the fucked up things he's been part of, you know, supplying arms to different countries, inciting wars, just being responsible for a lot of death in the world. And then learning early on that um, actually Hillary Clinton, who worked in, kind of took over his role in foreign policy, really saw him as a mentor and as a hero. I felt very strongly against Hillary Clinton. And I um, also saw a lot of things that she was part of. And I have, again, friends in, you know, in nonprofits who would also educate me, you know, like everyone's talking about Syria right now and it's devastating what's going on in Syria. But no one is talking about what's going on in Yemen. And Yemen actually has far more deaths. There's so much more going on. But for some reason, international media is not talking about it. And understanding, again, this was part of Hillary Clinton's foreign policy. This is what like the decisions she's been part of. And um, just, again, realizing, wow, like what the what is going on? And um, equally, like everyone else, just being so, you know, like most people being so happy that um, like Obama got into presidency. What an amazing victory symbolically um, for people of color, black people in America to, to fight and like reach that highest um, position and having done many amazing things, beautiful things, being a really, you know, example of grace and charisma and just um, in many ways a beautiful leader. But then also knowing that he, out of any president previously, was more at war and that he signed off on this new kind of warfare called drone warfare. And what I started to research when I learned about drone warfare was that they actually had um, a rule within drone warfare that any boy who looked over the age of 18 was fair game and was could be labeled a terrorist. 
And there were also examples, as I researched drone warfare, of, uh, again, in, in Yemen, like whole families. I remember this one particularly intense case of a grandmother and 10 children just being all wiped out by a drone. And all these things, I was like, no, again, no one's talking about this. What is going on? And I realized America didn't have to, or they just decided to not actually keep any record of the people they were killing or the amount they were killing um, and what was going on with drones. And I just, this kind of stuff made me so angry about Obama and about what he, you know, must know about must be part of because he you would hope so as a highest leader and signing off on it would know what was going on uh, and just the fact that this was not right and this is not being talked about and so again this has been fire that has just made me not want to say he's a bad person because uh, I also know his hands were so tied at many times I know the amount of profit um, driven decisions the amount like the way even, you know, democracy and politics works in America and in many places is just um, your hand is forced constantly. You can't actually make the change that you want to say uh, do. So I don't know if we'll ever really know. But just this is what is fucked up with the system and this is what has to change. And so by the time 2018 elections were coming... And it was seen as this huge feminist movement to vote for Hillary Clinton, knowing what I know of everything she had been part of um, with foreign policy and with her foundation and whether, you know, all of that is factual or not. But just knowing that there was enough there that made me just know this was not someone I wanted in the highest office. And to me, it was not uh, a symbol of, you know advancement progression and I think this is the same in the UK like okay we had a female prime minister Margaret Thatcher but she did a lot of really fucked up things to um in the UK so it's you know it's we have to be a little bit go a bit deeper I think sometimes this is simplistic choices and then once again I also acknowledge how important the symbolism is for women to see a female in the highest office um but I just want to say we need once you know what you know, it's hard to go back. And so um, I would never in a million years have, you know, supported Trump. But at the same time, something within me felt like, I mean, I'm obviously British, so I'm not actually, you know, allowed to vote in the United States. And I have no idea how I would have voted, but, or if I could really have made a choice, because it didn't really feel like a choice. And I would say overall, when my trip to China like it wasn't, it was only being there in a communist country and through my dad at first meeting a lot of, you know, Chinese people. Um, and then on my own travels, also meeting uh, like young Chinese people who could speak English. So I was learning a lot through them. This um, alertness that they had, this kind of comedy they had around their own government and what was going on. And, you know, the good positive sides about a communist society or a dictatorship is as generally longer term thinking um, whereas in democracies when there's short turnovers over several years that everyone cares about being voted in next and keeping that place of power so everything is done more kind of I think on the surface again this is very simplistic but it feels like it's all about short term let me prove who I am so I can be voted in again 
all my party can be voted in again. But it really sunk in when I was in China. Oh yeah, wait there. This feels the same. And it finally, like, finally it like sunk in. I feel like our democracy is just giving us the illusion of choice. It's giving us this idea that we are making a change. And of course, there are very real things that happen from different leaders that are you know, deeply important to be part of. But we're still not creating deeper change. The same bullshit things are happening. And um, Hillary Clinton, like I think for a lot of people, represented the establishment, the status quo. And if you listen to the everyday American person who, you know, works on minimum wage, who's out, you know, in the middle of nowhere, that's not really represented in Hollywood, um, which focuses on, you know, California or New York or these other states, um, you know, this is what we we see through media that is America, but there's you know, many other states and huge areas um, of land where people have just not been heard for a long time. They've lost jobs as, you know, jobs get shipped abroad to cheaper labor. And more and more people have just been, you know, angry. There's this boiling point. And then, of course, the you know, fucked up police system, the messed up education system, uh, industrial prison complex, all these, you know, really big problems. Uh, this is all boiling underneath the surface of this country um, and, and also in many other places around the world. And this leadership game was not like feeling like it was serving them and all this lip service or you know just like this is what we're doing da, 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 and it would never really be seen people were just sick of it and this is why trump represented a wild card i don't know if people all people like really believed in everything he said or believed in him but it was like felt like okay we just need something to change and this person represents this and I'm just saying this because it's very unpopular to say anything remotely towards being for Trump, which I'm not. But this is, I think, what we need to understand is also what people were really craving, something that was going to change the system. And part of me felt intuitively like I would never vote for him. But if he comes into office, I think movements are going to get ignited people can't go back you know good um more privileged liberal um people who are educated who have access to stuff can't go back to sleep they can't pretend things are okay because suddenly you have this figure who's just pointing out everything that's ugly with the system in america and it's just so much easier to call out trump but previously with presidents um it, it was all kind of charades, charades. It was like smoke and mirrors. You could never quite catch what was really going on unless you took the time to really know what was going on. And so it was harder to fight against. But Trump is this figure that's easy to fight against because he's so ridiculous and he says such blatantly sexist, racist, misogynist things. Um, it's easy to get ignited. And this is what we've needed from the ground up. You know, the amount of knowledge many years ago we didn't know what white privilege was we didn't know what white supremacy really was maybe you did if you had studied it 
or if you were deep within those movements, um, and if you were of color, if you are of color, if you're black, then you are likely highly aware of this dynamic. But most white people had no idea about this vocabulary and any understanding of it. And as I've shared with my own journey, I've been doing this kind of deeper work within me of like, what is all this stuff? But at the same time, this new vocabulary language gave me more understanding and also propelled me deeper into my self-work. Um, but this is all still relatively new and it's highly triggering. Triggering. It's highly uncomfortable. But I want to urge us all um, through this time to feel that ignited, to feel like George Floyd is not just a black person. He's a human and he is an American citizen. And so this should be outrage from everyone. And this is a symbol, like this is symbolic and it's just very real example of the deep rooted issues where we can't just have peaceful protests or gentle reform, you know, gradual change. It has to change now. The whole system has to be um, taken down, redesigned, reestablished, like that we need you know, better systems. My passion, of course, is within education, within research, with sharing that there is more to our story. And again, I invite you like to join the house. And if you can't afford the full membership, consider supporting us on Patreon, where we'll send you highlights. We invite you into this community in a deeper way. And also we will, um, you know, keep like adding to this content and this learning and this understanding so that we can all show up and walk with a greater way of seeing, a greater way of being, of being in a world community, to really believe in oneness and that we are all part of this greater web, really taking account and acknowledging people's stories and ways of living and the injustice that they face and just understanding that in our deep history how we experienced at some point this persecution we were either the you know the, we will probably have lineages of both the colonizer and the um the victim but uh this is you know so needed and it's so um again exciting if you've ever loved travel if you ever love culture if you ever love learning then this is again a, such a beautiful space to be and I feel so energized and strong behind this work I'm just keep going keep going keep going I'm like so excited for the change that we get to be part of by looking at the roots of things and really beginning to unearth that within ourselves to reclaim our own power to resacralize um you know reconnect to this deeper place within ourselves to then you know improve our lives in all ways our connection our intimacy our you know knowledge our power all these things um that we individually benefit from and then also we get to show up and actually be an ally actually show up for change and be um yeah not adding our discomfort to the mix and i had just in the past weeks a colleague who is half black half latina and she was so she shared a lot more of her personal journey that i hadn't known before and then she shared very recent experiences with white women who you know basically were very uncomfortable around race and around women of color and this started to show and this 
they tried to put her in a weird position, tried to get to do this kind of work that they didn't want to do. And it just suddenly, like, I realized again, like, wow, this white fragility, this discomfort, this unchecked racism, this unchecked thing that makes people so scared, so scared even, you know, so people are so scared to be bad, to be racist, to be wrong, that they refuse to even look at that self within themselves. And once we finally accept that we're all made of good and bad and that we all have shadow and ugly stuff within ourselves that we can begin to look at, to um, have compassion for, to also heal, to change and to strengthen so that we can show up as better people in the world. It, again, it just it's naturally also self-serving because you just end up being a better person and you feel better about yourself. I have such a, like, I think simplistic view of that in the world. Like if anyone is causing uh, like pain or trauma or enacting damage or um, violence, then they are deeply unhappy somewhere within themselves. <laughs> because happy, fulfilled, wise, uh, you know, deeply intelligent people do not do that. And I mean intelligence in another form of just intellectual intelligence, but like, deeply emotional um, awareness, that kind of intelligence, we then just also feel better as we walk through the world. So again, this is all part of it. And I, I don't know if I lost the train, go train of thought, but when I came to creating Salty Gathering, learning at the how I do things really channeled into for women who want to change the world, this project, Women Change World, because it became so important to me. I couldn't find any voices at the time of ways of creating a business or an organization, uh, marketing or thing that I resonated with. It felt on some level energetically manipulative, um, superficial or just ways of like creating power dynamics where you create followers and dependency. And I witnessed this up close as well with certain um, female empowerment teachers or coaches or stuff I started to see some of the really fucked up things that were going on where people were just so blinded and it wasn't truly empowering it was creating dependencies and it was just all of this stuff that I became kind of enraged by and I realized I just have to figure out a way of working where I'm not adding to the problem where I'm not just burning out and working no matter what and just pushing through and hustling and forcing and manipulating I get to work in flow I get to work with the universe I get to work with all things I also have to face my fears and show up continuously moving through change it's uncomfortable but I had like a way of doing so by working with the seasons working with the elements working with this understandings of rites of passages and initiations and doing the deeper work I began to share for, through So No One's Changed the World because it worked. Like that first year, as I've shared before here, that first year of birthing Salty gathering into the world, it flowed like magic. And of course, there were many things I had to learn along the way that were, um, you know, felt like mistakes or, you know, wrong turns, or whatever. I just kept course correcting and I had this guidance. And so this is something that I felt also I had to share with others. And... Um, again, I deeply care about it, the how we do things. Like even if it feels very small energetically, we need to take account of um, our reasoning behind things, the energy coming behind something. 
very worrying energy is desperation. Also very natural for those of us who've, you know, not come from a lot of money and who need to figure out how to survive. This is how full circle now coming to good money flows, this new offering that I'm bringing out into the world. It's it's like full circle for me. It's like this denial of head around finances and wealth and money in my own life for so long. Feeling not like I really wanted to earn money through Saucy Gathering because it just like felt like not a way of learning. Like I just felt very uncomfortable, especially in the journey of still figuring out what it was. I knew I needed to get many things right before I ever, you know, received an income. And I'm now definitely ready to build it as a more solid foundation organization where I do get an income and I know the part that I am here to play and I get to also employ others and support others doing this work um, because I see so many well-intentioned people so many like wise intelligent knowledgeable people who also deny money and who want to do good things and questioning that more and more looking at the economic system and again grateful for that you know that study that I did of the economic system at university because it woke me up to how this can be changed and how this was just uh like an experiment and it was you know here for us to change um because it wasn't serving and it wasn't working in the way even that it was meant to work it's like deeply flawed and working and like studying through the economic crash in 2008 and realizing the deep issues <laughs> that none got resolved and actually became worse so this economic system again is just really messed up and again part of so many issues you know when we look at I think a huge denial maybe consciously or subconsciously of of money of wealth has been the real reality that some of the wealthiest um, families in the world have made their money from slavery from oppression from extraction unnecessary extraction from forced um you know activities and that, that have just not benefited our environments and our humanity um and just knowing that makes us reject it but somehow we need to clean the system we all work with money i tried for so long <laughs> to not really uh, acknowledge it or live with it or you know even want it and at wasn't working was making me dysfunctional it was not allowing me to really show up it would move me into cycles of boom and bust where moments again I would be desperate and I'd have to try and figure something out again it's not a good place to be in because we don't do things that are sensible or right so I um while I've read a lot and taken in a lot of teachings for in the self-help space in the personal development space in the spiritual conscious spaces of around money I find pretty much everything I've come across has been lacking the very real life context the very real world economy the way money is used to control and coerce and um, force power within certain dynamics and is part of a lot of manipulation in the world a part of a lot of issues <laughs> it's kind of in denial of that it's like no just get into an abundance mindset just get into um you know this personal good relationship with money which i don't uh negate i think it's all valuable what i want to do is marry that all with this 
bigger world understanding so that we walk rightly, so that we don't just heal money in the way that we earn it, in the way that we spend it, in the way that we save it, in the way we budget, the way we invest, the way we do all things, the way we give, the way we receive, just being in this beautiful holistic healing space with money and that we feel the power moving through us we feel the responsibility and that we we revel in it because we know that we get to make good choices and we get to be part of this good money flowing through the world and through the systems and we get to change things by supporting our local economies by supporting craftsmen and makers and farmers and people that we know directly and really looking at the chain effect that we don't no longer spend money out of sight out of mind no idea where this product came from no idea if it really came from a sustainable um place and like you know there's been a constant redefining of for example, prices, and I still hear it's like just I think a very thing that we've been conditioned and slightly programmed with. Um, many of us, you know, always like considering prices and like, oh, wow, that's expensive, or wow, this is like you know a good deal or whatever. Uh, I'm waking up to the more and more realizing if something is cheap, it's likely been like extracted badly from the earth, or it's not like it's robbed from the people who've made it like that money should have been paid better and so re realigning and understanding where I want to put money has been such an important part for me and to guide this journey I think again is going to be deep it feels like an important anchor in the world an important pillar of how we are walking through the world I've heard advice around investments or from different like what's the best bank accounts for this and then you know people recommending for example chase bank and then mean just like personally knowing chase was one of the biggest funding um these illegal oil pipelines on indigenous territories and this um again these extractive industries it's like i don't want to make my fortune or my you know start saving money or making money from this kind of bank so it's like knowing again taking account of all parts of the cycle and the pieces so that we can just feel like I'm doing the best I can and I'm getting better each day and I am not in denial of money I allow it to move through me because when I get to thrive I get to give from an overflowing cup and that's far better than giving from desperation or savior complex or like I need to feel good about myself no it's coming from just a very real um, place and then also knowing that you know a lot of wealthy people who you know who are not all bad <laughs> some people have made wealth from just very intelligent um you know beautiful ways learning the money game which is a whole game in itself and there's many ways to play it um and them also trying to communicate hearing their voices also and being like you know sometimes it's not best to just give away money we need to learn how to work with money. And this I've seen in my own life, just ways I've given, maybe out of guilt, maybe out of just feeling like, wow, I just want to help and I just want to be a good person. And then seeing how that money added to the problem and the person maybe hadn't dealt with their deeper stuff or there's like, you know, issues culturally or in the community or in the context and just realizing that money doesn't always solve the issues and that we sometimes also need to be part of the deeper work 
of helping or like supporting or you know being part of the change and and learning about money has been an important part of my own journey and it's ongoing because I want to also help others especially indigenous communities who've never needed money and now kind of been forced into it and have are having really bad relationships with it really don't understand the energy of it don't understand it's just creating a lot of corruption and distortion and um, again how can we work together and, and actually clean out these systems to be in right balance and exchange and to feel like the energy is good moving between us through exchange through monetary value and um, again learning how to to support others through that space is a really important thing um, to look at and that I want to help again support <laughs> with the work that we're doing and so yeah the plan is to begin at the end of August for three months to journey together with money so I invite you to join that journey also for ourselves and for the world <laughs> that we get to live in to be part of the change we wish to see in the world I think it's a, a powerful deep exciting journey to be on and something that I just feel like in my own life I'm like I want to get so right with it. And of course, I'm still going to be learning and, and making mistakes as I go. But like to really make it a focus for three months and still for it to fit within our work. I'm very busy right now. I have a lot going on. Um, but knowing that this is important to get right with so that I can feel like I can walk really strongly through the earth, through the world, and I'm doing my part. And this is just, again... We can't know that unless we do the deeper work or we focus on this stuff. So, yeah, inviting you to that course. Um, you can find the information on my personal website, hannahruthdyson.com, um, under offerings. And you can email me if you're interested so I know I start to register interest. Um, and, yeah, I'm sure I'll create a more formal um booking page at some point but yeah at the moment I'm just working with whatever I have you know <laughs> kind of limited resources myself I'm just working with whatever I have there's like I feel so much pressure just self-imposed because I feel like my visions for salsa gathering are so far so deep I just yeah there's so much I want to do and put out there and there's so many things I want to carry out at this point I know the words that have kept coming up as a collaboration, co-creation, employment, teams, all of that is something I'm really digging like into. And I'm, you know, starting to receive a lot of people interested in volunteering and I'm starting to, you know, see the potential of earning grants and, and building a, a team so we can have a startup that functions and works as a yeah, really good flowing nonprofit. And yeah, there's so much with Saucy Gathering. It's so um, exciting. And I also have to just keep allowing for the journey and not feeling the pressure, uh, like being overwhelmed. I feel very overwhelmed at times. It's something I have to constantly work through. Um, for example, within the Saucy Towers, there's so much I want to like add. There's so much I have to put there that I'm just still really trying to pace myself with it and and trust also that it can be overwhelming for others to receive too much information so all the time trying to channel it in the right ways and then with this with this project women change world also just having begun is a very you know personal way of 
like how to share how to work in flow and be through the seasons and creative cycles and invite you to the course mapping that's on there um it's kind of energetic you know it can be a bit abstract but you just start to live it and work it bit by bit through you and it i can tell you it's amazing it's like magic wow when we realize we don't have to force or hustle or like really um you know it's like we can trust the journey that we're on and it doesn't mean that we're inactive and passive we know we have to constantly rise to the occasion but this course mapping really helps support that and will help just enter you into that journey so you can find that on the website i think it's 65 dollars, and you can yeah have it then whenever you want to come back to it so that's there as well if you want to really also transform the way you work and and also you know maybe not just sit on ideas or sit in the same kind of energy but actually start moving through a full cycle it's like really pushes us out of our comfort zone because I've said previously you know I love ideas I have so many all the time I just really stay in this season of spring which is very like childlike and um seeing all the visions and all the possibilities and all those things it's just very comforting to me to be in that space more uncomfortable to then put that into action you know in summer which is like when represents that kind of trial and error experimentation trial by fire it's also the kind of the teenage year development of like emotions <laughs> creativity sexuality but like also shame judgment discomfort so all those things arise we learn how to you know become comfortable with the uncomfortable like putting ourselves out there testing failing trying again getting right course correcting it's all part of that journey of you know maturing and and just you know actually living and being part of the change in the world and then shifting into west which is the autumn it's like which i'm still learning in my bigger life cycle i really felt like when i became a mother oh this is I'm stepping into the West, the warrior, like the, my queendom, like my voice, my power. Like I get to create structure and form. I get, I get to build a team around the work that I'm here to do. And it's like taking a long transition really from my bigger life cycle. You know, we have these smaller cycles of change that could happen within a day, a week, a month, a year. And then we have this, you know, bigger, clear progression through life if we really take these initiations and rites of passages and invitations i think by life that are there all the time to to deepen and to you know shape shift because it, it requires us to then step into a new kind of role um of responsibility and uh, ownership and power also like how to work with that power where it's like power with all not over or under um, and this has been a huge transition from <laughs> trial and error and experimenting with all the things that I was doing into the West of like, no, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm here for. And now I need to, you know, again, step into myself as a queen and all those things. It's It's been a process to really um, like get into it and to figure it out and learn the lessons. So, uh shifting into that and then always being reminded of how to shift back in through the smaller cycles and then later on in life you know into 
the wisdom space, the time of rest, we need that within our year, within our month. We need that natural part of of deep rest where we also get to integrate, we get to learn from the mistakes and lessons that we've made so we're not in this hamster wheel just repeating, repeating, repeating mistakes. We're actually taking the time and I've heard this time and again, again from people, you know, the resistance to rest, to taking time out to integrate, to slow down, is because all of our stuff can show up, all the pain that's unresolved, everything we've suppressed, everything, all of our shadow. And I think this has been a gift through this quarantine across the world of like many people taking far more time at home, obviously, and Obviously not all the people on the front line, but many people have taken this slower path and it's like suddenly having more time to think, to feel a lot of, you know, problems rising to the surface, the amount of domestic violence soaring, which I feel is that it's a lot of discomfort of being, you know, slowed down, not being with all our distractions. And then also, you know, and that pain just coming out from people and being, uh, turned into violence and then um, also just I think this greater evolution that's taking place with uh, women coming into their knowledge and power and and rights has it's just uh, and as calling upon the feminine more and more within all of us to feel to process to to be um, you know to see ourselves as part of a great family to be caring and nurturing and, and those um, more typical feminine qualities that being called upon from all of us and that again being a huge discomfort men I think as a trend um, of course not speaking to all men but this is I think a symbolic of the domestic violence that's rising is this deep discomfort of the unknown and men for so long having had the control having this well this illusion of control and this illusion of power and suddenly stepping into the unknown, we still don't know how long this, you know, quarantine virus uh, scenario is going to take place. We don't know our future, perhaps. We maybe lost jobs, you know, all this uncertainty and then all of this unchecked pain, all of this trauma, all this stuff that we've suppressed being rising up to the surface and then coming out violently. It's very symbolic of, I think, the greater change that is taking place. And the reason why I've always got hope because I feel like, our higher energies, our sense of love, of connection, of community, of really wanting to heal is deeply there. And I've seen it again and again with, you know, seemingly lost hopes or cases, just people waking up and realizing they want to make a change um, within themselves. And so uh, holding on to that constantly, the light, the vision of the world we want to step into and it being realistic, it being something that's also acknowledging, you know, the deep issues that are really here. We can't create real change. We can't just say love and light and peace on earth if we're not actually <laughs> acknowledging what is, you know, really there. So this is a call to action to all of us to continue being part of this. And I want to continue using my voice for truth and to be vulnerable to allow emotions to allow all of these parts of my own journey to be expressed it's funny how I've still held back or resisted some of that within this podcast and I just <laughs> realized earlier today like this is my podcast <laughs> I can share whatever I want and it's like 
you know, there's many things I could have done along my journey to raise my following or my popularity or my um, customer base. And it's just being allowing for this organic growth or this organic journey to just teach me along the way because I felt like there's so much I have to learn. Like, I don't want to rush into a huge audience. I don't want to rush into... Um, you know, being an influence to many others because there's so much for me to learn and understand and to integrate, to show up as my best self. And again, stepping into the West more and more, I feel closer and closer to that. I feel more and more ready to receive and support and help others on their journey. It's like knowing that we are all always at some point in the journey where we can help others, you know, just behind us, just like just needing to learn what we just learned. So um, being part of the change in the world also doesn't have to be this grand thing. It's some of the stuff I touched on with Catherine in our conversation, you know, coming back to our homes, coming back to our families, coming back to our friends, our community, looking at, you know, things that can be more mundane or the things that are not so glamorous, the things that we maybe not going to get praise for, accolades, but showing up to be good people there. It can be sometimes the hardest stuff. <laughs> Easier to think I can save the world um, or save a huge, you know, a huge movement or campaign or whatever and to come to our personal relationships um, can be really the harder work. But it's all part of this dance. It's really a call to all of us to take part in all of it, um, to once again free ourselves to know that we're none of us are free until we're all free so that we continue showing up each day to be part of the change to be a support to be an ally to really show up where we are needed to use our voice where it is needed the reason why i'm so passionate about saucy gathering and deep feminine history is understanding really how our voices have been silenced for so long those of us who have not been white or male uh, have typically been silenced for a long time I've always not listened to or heard or valued um, so knowing this is deep ancestral trauma that we all um, have to heal and just through this knowledge through this exploration of history I was able to begin healing that it was an imperfect marriage with my circle work where I began with being so uncomfortable with using my voice so uncomfortable with public speaking and then you know the way this journey has like taken me to speak to hundreds, hundreds of people at a time and realizing I'm more and more comfortable with public speaking. I feel more empowered. I feel able to use my voice. And I, you know, those moments where I'm deeply shameful for, um, which I shared in last week's episode for, from where I didn't use my voice and I just went along with things and, you know, all those things we probably, you probably resonate with at some point on your journey, something like that. Um, realizing like we get to change that now we get to heal that now we get to use our voice now it's going to be uncomfortable but it's also so worth it it's so needed and it's just I think win 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 and I think this is the society in the future I believe in and I can see that we're moving into and I you know it just needs a lot of change and disruption and evolution and maybe revolution um is to move into decisions that are always win 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 so that you know profit is only made when it's serving all that this is a representation of 
walking well through the world and this is just part of our culture and our society and our mentality and this is something that we can you know reclaim and return to we can honor as part of who we are also not just these destructive bullies upon the earth um but part of you know dynamic collaborative creative beautiful communities where we are honored and held and supported and we are equally honoring and supporting others and this is what is possible so once again inviting us to step into this future to continue digging deeper thank you for listening to me today um share from some more of what i learned along my journey what woke me up in different ways that's driven the work that i'm here to do um and again with saucy gathering i focus so much on the beauty and the knowledge and the wisdom and the things to appreciate and value because i also realize we we have a way of turning off from things that are hard and the things that um we don't know how, we feel despair because we don't know how to save or to solve but if we start to appreciate the beauty and we add a value to it we're probably naturally lending more support and help to those communities than we would by just charity. So again, this is the ethos is is staying connected to love, to appreciation, to beauty, to empowerment, all those things. Um but not turning our backs and not being in denial of the very real life problems. And so Um, I'm excited to share more so just through social media and through um different mediums and platforms but um sharing the immense wealth of beauty for example in african culture um and of course many countries within africa it's not a <laughs> not a uniform thing there's so much wow amazing unique traditions and just so much to learn from um and that just even understanding that and looking at that begins to make us appreciate these people this culture this wisdom and so on and gets us to maybe value those lives more not just um passively but actively and you know who knows how tourism will like return after all of this um it definitely needs some changes but for us to also you know go to these countries with a deep like yearning to learn from the people not just to stay in resorts or places where we feel completely uh, disconnected i even felt it through hostels and backpacking people just stay with the people that they know and they you know i'd meet cuz i was on my own i would start chatting to for example in china to like uh, i remember a young girl in particular who spoke english and just like amazed at all the stuff that she had to say and i was just like so just in love with this connection and she shared like you're the first white person to talk to me and i was just like what you live in this kind of hippie town in china um i think it was called dali in in yunnan it's like a very kind of hippie a lot of it was the first place i arrived for like after several months where there were actually westerners like hippie travelers and so on i was like there's so many white people here like and no one's talking to you like i just didn't understand so it's you know we we kind of stick to what we know and where we feel safe we do, we hate to get into out of our comfort zone unless we make it a practice um but again engaging in this work engaging into this research and exploration and learning 
starts us to make maybe make us feel more comfortable <laughs> with just engaging human to human and showing up for rights and for justice and for what is important where it counts this will save lives this will make the change that is needed in the world and so <sighs> thank you for listening once again inviting you to all these different platforms courses journeys ways you can be involved i again love hearing from you your experiences your feedback your your the way things you're moving through each week and just it keeps it going honestly it's like hearing from you is just so touching and yeah i will never take it for granted so once again i thank you i am sending so much love to wherever you are in the world and just through this work facing the discomfort facing the pain facing the fear facing the anger um we have to look after ourselves so we have to be in community we have to be in support we have to be doing our own healing we have to ensure that we're nourished and we are um again looking after ourselves so that we can again show up and be our best selves for all others so um please remember that because I know it's easy to lose ourselves in things that matter um, but it's really important again that we take care of ourselves mm. sending so much love and until next week I hope you have a beautiful week and I look forward to speaking to you then <laughs>